of the folks at Pillar College, the board, and uh, all the staff and students. I want to say thank you so much for this honor. Dr. Dyer over there. Uh, Dr. Dyer's always looking out uh, for me. Uh, he's my special assistant also, so I'm so glad um, to be here. Let me say a quick word of prayer, then we'll just jump in. Father, thank you so much for today. May you lead, guide, and direct us and give your insight and wisdom. Lord, let me forever decrease and you forever increase. Let you be seen and not me. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was uh, uh, reviewing what I should talk about, um, and it's kind of an introduction, um, the folks back at the office gave me all these uh, videos of folks uh, at uh, NCS, and I love your motto, live pure, speak truth, right wrong, follow the king. It just resonates um, with me. And as an introduction, I thought it the best thing to do is to tell a few stories. I have about four stories that I just want to go over and then uh, summarize them. Um, <clears throat> I want to give thanks also to my beautiful wife of 25 years. That's Mary Ann Hales and two kids, twins. And you always give uh, thanks to my, to my wife uh, because there's a little story that's told about a CEO and his wife who was uh, going along, uh, driving on a long trip and they decided to pull off on the road. And when they pull off on the road uh, at the gas station to get something, the lady says, okay, I'll stay in the car. You go inside and get, get the food and go do what you need to do. And so he went inside to get the food. And when he was ordering the stuff, he looked out to the, to the left and he saw her in an involved conversation with the gas station attendant. And, you know, it was more than that. It was like involvement like you know somebody, involvement like you had some, some relation with somebody. And so he came out, and actually he was a little bit annoyed, in fact, uh, uh, that uh, she was uh, talking to him. And so they got in the car, and she could sense that he was a little bit annoyed. She said, who was that? Because they were driving along. And she, she said, well, that was my boyfriend from college. <laughs> and he said, wow, okay, that's, that's nice. And why were you talking to him so intently? What happened with you guys? And she said, don't, you know, don't worry about it. And then he, you know, two seconds went along, and he said, you know, I bet you're happy that you're here and I'm sitting here and I'm the CEO of a company. And she paused for a minute and she said, you know what? If I'm going along here and we're driving, you would be the gas station attendant and you would be sitting as the CEO. <laughs> so you have to be really careful <laughs> and understand who is the one that really helps you to be who you are. I was born in Jamaica uh, way back when I came to this uh, country uh, about 40, 40 something years ago, I, uh, at the age of 11, um, a year before that, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Um, I'm going to tell some stories here that folks who know me are going to be surprised that these stories actually exist with me because some of these stories I'll tell for the first time in my life. Um, well, for me, coming to the U.S. was an involuntary transition. Involuntary transition means you have to transition. You don't intentionally transition. It's an involuntary transition. Everybody's moving uh, uh, to the U.S. Some of my brothers were born in, in the United Kingdom, went to Jamaica, and then after that we came to the United States. So I did an involuntary transition there. But my first story 
is back in 1984. My brothers and I, twins and others, I used to hang out with the older kids, the older brothers. I was the younger, I was the youngest, um, but I used to hang out with the older ones. Because you hang out with the older ones, you know, you either get in trouble or you learn a lot. And uh, I remember um, going along and um, we're driving along in a car and obviously um, we're African-American descent and we got pulled over by the police. And uh, the police was, you know, we thought was uh, interrogating us a little bit. Uh, we didn't like it, um, but, you know, we maintain our composure. And he says, uh, I was reading a book in the back because I remember from a very young age, I really wanted to, I, I would look up on the sky every time an airplane goes by. I want to fly. I really wanted to fly. And I have this book in my hand, and um, I remember um, the officer came around and grabbed the book out of my hand and says, you know, what is this? This is reading. Uh, it's about flying. You'll never fly. You guys never fly. You never do anything. And he took the book and threw it on the ground. And at that point in time, I was upset, but kind of didn't really understand what was actually happening. And sometimes you will see what others don't see. Meaning there's stuff that God called you to do and there are people around you and they don't see what God's called you to do. But you just got to press through it. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 it says, But as it written, eyes have not seen nor ear hear, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. If you love him, he's going to prepare stuff for you. So in spite of somebody throwing a book on the ground and say you'll never become nothing, thank God I'm standing here in front of you. My second story is one a little bit more, more involved. Um, my second story uh, was in the newspaper. And um, I'm going to ask later on, I have the, the, the newspaper clipping there to, to, to kind of pass it around. Um, I've never shared this story publicly, ever. Only two or three other people know the story. And Wayne, if you could help me with the, if Wayne, if you could come up and help me with, with those, um, the, the, the handout. But it went like this. Uh, the South Orange Police Department is investigating a brazen assault, robbery, and home invasion in Milton Place. Police officer Donald uh, Wallenberg res responded to the crime scene after a neighbor notified people that he heard scream coming from a house. According to the reports, the officers located a pool of blood in the driveway of the residence and followed the trail of blood to the third floor of the home where the officer found the victim handcuffed to the roof support beam bound and gagged with duct tape and neckties. Back up uh, came the police officers searched, searched a three-story room uh, home. Once the home was uh, considered safe, they called the fire department and they called the fire department and brought a person in. The 29-year-old was taken uh, to the hospital. Detective Jones was summoned to the crime scene is handling the investigation, which is continuing. On May 23rd, 1996, I left Philadelphia. I remember driving home from Philadelphia. And when I drive home from Philadelphia, um, I, I came to my house. I had a, a house in, in South Orange. And when I came there, um, uh, I'm, I'm sometimes, sometimes folks call me 
um, uh, um, cheap in the sense that I, I try to conserve, you know, don't keep the lights on, turn the lights off, all that stuff. And, you know, even when I leave and I'm going out, you need to have lights next to uh, where the uh, garage was, but I, I had those off. And when I pulled up to my garage, um, uh, I, I walked from my garage and I was, as I was going through the, the portal to my, to my driveway, uh, I saw this big figure next to me and it pounced on me. And this figure uh, and I fell to the ground and we started tussling. We started really tussle on the ground. And um, as they were tussling, um, I myself saw blood on the ground. And when I saw blood on the ground, I said, oh, you know, let me just stop right now because there's blood on the ground. And um, I remember him picking me up and uh, he took one of those things that we called um, a, like a ski mask and he put it over my face and uh, brought me into the house. I lived alone at that time. I have one cat at the time. And uh, the cat, when, you know, when cat hear these things, the <laughs> cat took off. And so we came into the house and um, he said, you know, I don't want to do this. And I said, you know, you know I, at that point in time, those of you understand these things, y y you're, you're shaken up to say the least. I was taken inside and he brought me upstairs to the second floor and uh, took my, um, my wallet and started going through my wallet. And at that time he had put a handcuff on me and had me on face down on the bed. And um, you know when, you know, they, they, they say it all the time that, you know, when things happen, when life uh, uh, threatening situation happened, your life flashed before you. And I remember my brother was going to have a daughter, and I said, "Man, I'm not going to see him. I'm not going to see her." And it, it just started to process in my head that this is not going to happen. And so I said to him, "You know, you know, you don't have to do this." And he said, "I do this because my grandmother needs some money, so I got to do this." Uh, he took me upstairs, and then after he took me upstairs, he said, uh, "You know, um, we need to get your 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 credit card." He took my credit card, um, and then he summoned another guy. He said, um, every, it's almost like a covert op. He said, okay, if we're in, everything is settled, you can come in. And this other person came in, and throughout the entire ordeal, he never said one word uh, in the ordeal. A de detective said that that was somebody who knew me, who didn't say one word. Um, but then he left, went to the bank, asked me for my pin, went to the bank, took the monies out. And um, I was thinking about giving him the wrong pin. But the other guy's there, <laughs> the one who just stabbed me. <laughs> and I said, okay, I think I better give him the right pin. We can laugh about this guy now, because now I've gone through the trauma and it was 20 something years ago. But when I was, you know, they're leaving now, they came back, they got the money, they're leaving now. And they said, okay, we're going to pick you all the way up to the attic, and what I'm going to do is we're going to tie you up. When we tie you up, we're going to make a phone call to who you know, and, you know, they can come and get you. And uh, um, I remember making a phone call to my brother, and I remember the phone ringing, and it rang once, and it rang twice, and it rang three times, and then it rang four times, and then it went to voicemail. I have never hated voicemail like that <laughs> for my entire life. But it went to voicemail, and then they left. And I said, okay, I'm up in this, in this attic. I have uh, uh, a face mask on. I have a duct tape uh, on my head. 
um, I was um, uh, tied to a beam, and on the beam, I had a hand handcuffs on me. Those of you, and I joke about this all the time, if you're in a handcuff and you try to get out of it, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. So as, as I was up there, um, I said, okay, I can get out of this thing now. And, you know, they used duct tape to tie my feet, so I just, you know, tamped the duct tape, and it, it came off. And I said, okay, man. Um, and the cat came out. So that was my good sign. The cat came out. And uh, as I say, duct tape off, all of a sudden, the cat ran away. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And here they come again. They're coming back in. They came upstairs. And they saw me with my foot uh, untied, and they said, nah, we're not going to have this. And so what they did, they used neckties to tie my feet. And they put the thing back on, and I said, you guys don't have to do this. And I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to describe the guy, but he, he did say to me, do you need some water? And he went downstairs and got me some water. In the midst of all of that, the, the guy who was a criminal is saying, okay, do you need water? Um, but I was there, and um, it was about 11 o'clock by then, and um, I was on the pole trying to get up off the pole, trying to go down on the pole, get up off the pole, go down on the pole, get up off the pole. And then nine o at 11 o'clock became 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock became 1 o'clock. I was yelling for people, if anybody could hear me, uh, up in the uh, attic. But nobody could hear me. I fell asleep. I woke up again. I woke up. I was by myself again. My hands were bleeding. Uh, the cat came out, and the cat stayed out. So I knew that they're gone. This thing was still on top of my head, and I really needed to get it off because I thought I was going to suffocate to death because this thing was coming down over my face. And so there was another pole next to it, so I hit my head against the pole as many times, and then the thing came off. And when it came off, I said, oh, my goodness, I'm going to live now. I know I'm going to live. Two o'clock became three o'clock, three o'clock became four o'clock, four o'clock became 5 a.m. in the morning. I know I had meetings at Prudential that next morning because that's where I was as an executive, and I know if they don't see me, they're gonna s something is wrong. So needless to say, after 6 o'clock, I started to kick because I was able to kick uh, the side of the, the third floor attic, and uh, my next-door neighbor heard me. And he said, Rupert, is that you? And I said, yes, it's me. And he said, he called up the police, and you know, as you see in the, in the write-up, uh, they came. They did their search through the, through the building, and um, they had video of the guy and all that stuff. They took me down to the police station. They took the handcuffs off and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and the note I have here is sometimes things are unclear as the enemy just bombards you. You get bombarded sometimes. You don't even understand what's going on. But I remember Genesis 50:20. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about the saving of many lives. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why I went through it. I've never shared it before. And in prepar preparing for this, God says, you need to share it. That's my first time. So that's the second story. I'm full of stories. The first one is driving, I'd say driving while black. The second is the mugging. The third story is, I am going along here, and you know, I went to uh, Seton Hall, as Tom mentioned, and I went to University of Pennsylvania, went to Wharton Business School. Um, before that, I was in the U.S. Air Force as an officer, and I was uh, flying airplanes down in Arizona, and then I, I came back here, and then, you know, 
when you're at, at, at Wharton, one of the things they, they drill into you is when you leave, you want to be, they want you to be captains of industries. They, you know, for those of you who are here and, you know, you go to these top echelon schools, if you're at the Harvard uh, Business School, and I talk to Jerry Cleave all the time about these things, they drill some stuff into you. And, you know, I remember when I came to Christ Church uh, with Dr. David Allen, there's about 500 people there, and he said to me, you know, Rupert, uh, we need some administrative help. Would you mind coming on staff? Now, I've gone through a whole bunch of stuff in my life. I've, you know, gone to be uh, uh, at one of the best business schools in the world who told me to, that I need to be captain of industry. And I said, you want me to come to this church and head up administration? Man, I got places to go and things to do, brother. <laughs> I said, I have no time for this. How many of you know when you're running, God somehow find a way to get you? And so I remember... Um, I was trying to make this decision because I was kind of pondering it. I remember coming back from, 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 from Amsterdam because I had some people over there reported to me and I was in the car at JFK. When I was at JFK, they, um, uh, the, uh, uh, I heard this voice in the car, I've done all these things for you, what are you gonna do for me? But I still, you know, sometimes, you know, God, sometimes, and you guys know this, sometimes it takes like 10 times for God to get your attention. So they got my attention again. I, was, I had a dream in this dream, and God deals with me in dreams. I was at the top of a building, and the top of the building, there were people coming up and saying, Rupert, just let go. And th there's ladders that came up, and I was petrified at the top of this building. I said, let, let go. See, oh God. And then they came up, and they said, let go. And, and they came up and said, let go. And, and I'm like, I'm petrified. The scene changed, and I'm in a car. And I'm going up a hill. And I'm going up the hill. Uh, as I was going up the hill, um, the hood came up. I couldn't see. I'm petrified again. Can't see, can't see. A voice in the back says, Rupert, we can't see. We're going to crash. We can't see. The dream ended. How many of you have had dreams where you end and you say, what in the world was that? The next morning, my life group leader came to me and said, hey, Rupert, you know, how are you doing, blah, 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 blah. She said, um, I know, um, you know, we've been uh, working on, I can't remember passages that we were going through, but she said, hey, Rupert, I had a dream last night. And in the dream, I was in a car, and I was in the backseat of a car, and you were driving. And the hood of the car came up, and I kept on saying to you, we can't see, we can't see. Now, you can imagine when somebody's telling you that, you're just sitting there quietly because you're not going to say a word. She said, the hood came off. And then guess what happened? We drove up to the top. We got out. We got in the trunk. There was food there. There was a church. We took the food into the church. And the people said, we've been waiting for you. I called Dr. Allen up the next day and said, okay, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> The passage, the item I have here is that God has a plan that we don't know. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says, For God, for I know the thoughts, and I think towards you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So I don't know how God has dealt with you, but he has a future and a hope for you. He has a future and a hope for you throughout, no matter what you have gone through, he has a future and a hope for you. 
no matter what other people say, he still has a future and a hope for you. My final story is the emotional journey story. I have a few minutes. I had this secretary, a uh, wonderful lady, and, um, um, but she was high strung. We had a, a, an event that had 600 people there and the governor of New Jersey was gonna be at that event and I was the one over overseeing that event. I remember driving up to the, to the building. I said, hey, are we all ready? And there was quiet on the phone. You guys are CEOs and head of industries and head of companies. When you call somebody, ask them how things are going and they're quiet on the phone, there's some things going through your minds. <laughs> things that would probably say, I'm gonna lose my salvation here in a minute. But I was a pace-setting leader. I've learned this through my work in emotional intelligence. You can be a pace-setting leader. A pace-setting leader runs through walls and just get other people to run through walls with them. And sometimes people can't run through walls because God didn't create them to run through walls with you. You can be a command and control leader. A command and control leader is somebody who said, come on, shut up, let's go, we're going this way. Command and controls are usually used when you're in the military. If you're gonna in a battle, and the enemy's coming, you're not going to say, okay, can I get your opinion as to whether we should attack this guy or not? You're going to say, shut up, let's go. You could be a coaching leader where you come alongside and help somebody. You could be an affiliated leader where you connect with people. But I was a pace-setting leader. But a pace-setting leader is one of the most dangerous leadership style you can have because you could push people beyond the level that they weren't called to be pushed. God didn't ordain them to do that. And suffice it to say, I treated her sir so badly I you know, really said some terrible things to her. And after I said some terrible things to her, I remember uh, Dr. Arlen and I were having a conversation and he said, one of the words that he said to me that I remember to this day, he said, Rupert, whenever anybody was with Jesus, they never felt less than themselves. Whatever you do, anybody who's with Jesus should never feel less than themselves. So, fact of the matter is, I had to apologize to people. It's in my book. I got my entire staff together and say, hey guys, I've been struggling. I'm a left brain. I can run through walls. If you want me to run through walls, I, you know, you could call me a walking spreadsheet. I can do all these things. But when it comes to connecting with people, sometimes I just put that secondary. Ah, I'll figure that out later. Let me just go get the job done. But Daniel Goldman in his research working with emotional intelligence points out that 66% of what we do is emotional, 33% is analytical and intellectual. That's why emotional intelligence is so important nowadays because it's about people. It's about the people that serve you. It's the people that take care of you. It's the people that are working with you. That's what emotional intelligence is about. And I have a little passage there in John, John 21, verse 15 through 19. Let me just read it. I have about six minutes to go. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, More than these. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Feed my lamb. He said to him again, second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, Tend my sheep. The third time, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter knows, threw his hands up. You know everything, God. Why are you asking me these questions? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. That passage resonates with me 
every single time. Why did Jesus have to ask him three times? But he asked him three times. The first time he said, feed my lamb. Not my sheep, said feed my lamb. Because there are people who are not fully grown, not fully grown up, that they're going to be with you in your engagement, and you have to take care of them and feed them. The second time he said, tend my sheep, meaning take care of them, meaning you have to take care of the ones that are grown. So when the people are around you, whether it be your staff or whether the people that you care for or whether the people that you love, even your family members, he's saying, tend my sheep. And the last one he said, feed my sheep. Fact of the matter is, for me, I went through an evaluation from an EQI standpoint. I got 13 people to tell me who I, who I am. I got a 360. People were telling me who I am were pastors and other leaders. Some of them, when they were doing the survey, I can see them doing this. Okay, it's payback time. And they filled out, when I got it back, it was an out-of-body experience. I've been serving the Lord, I told you, from I was age 10, 30-something years, but yet I didn't have the attribute that Christ had called me to have. Galatians 5, verse 22, 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So how then could I be treating people, the sheep that he sent me, in the way that could end up hurting them. He's saying, feed my sheep. Take care of my lamb. Feed them and take care of them. So for me, where I stand now, and I've gone through EI, I've gone through, you know, my, you know I did get better, just so you know. Um, in fact, now I, I, I teach the subject, I research the subject. My, the subject of my dissertation was um, the relationship between emotional intelligence and virtue, the fruit of the spirit, in organizational leadership. What I found in research, let me just make it real short, it found that the predictor of emotional intelligence is relationship with God. Love, joy, and peace, contextually, in the fruit of the spirit, is relationship with God. It predicts self-perception, it predicts self-expression, it predicts interpersonal relationship, it predicts stress management. So my concluding, as I, as I bring this to a close, today I'm the president of Pillar College. My research is on emotional intelligence, leadership virtues. Crazy thing is my wife said to me, Rupert, you haven't reached your calling yet. I say, what? I've been doing all of this and you're telling me, keep going. You haven't gotten there yet. See, fact of the matter is <laughs> I'm a discerning man. I'm not one of those guys who go to the top of the mountain and come down with this, you know, template that says this is what we're going to do. I look for God to open doors. I discern whether it's in, and I run through the door. For you, I give encouragement. God opens doors for you. Stuff that you, you know, sometimes you wonder about. The door open and you sense God runs through that door because you don't want that door to open. It could be doors of opportunities, could be doors of education, could be door for you to do things. If the door is open, I encourage you to run through it. In my story, the first story, when I was driving in that car, don't let anybody tell you who you are and what you can do. Anybody. Because 
They didn't birth you. They didn't create you. He created you. And he's got a plan for you. And there are people who could be potential naysayers who say things, but no. Last, second to last one. You will face trials, even to death. But if God is for you, no one can be against you. Whether it's physical, spiritual, no matter what it is. Final thing is, look out for what God is showing you. He might be speaking. He might be engaging with you. Do not care for those who God has sent our way who are going to ask you. And you've heard it before. We've done this before. We don't want to do this anymore. We've been there. We've done that. Why are we doing this again? If God has given you something on every single one of you, my encouragement to you is that God has given you things for my mugging or whatever you want to call it. I'm still standing. If that didn't end well, I wouldn't be standing before you today. When I did something to the, to the, to the young lady for it, from an EI perspective, if I didn't take the results of that and engage God and say, God, can you show me where I'm short? Can you show me how I'm not building relationship? I know I'm running out of time here. One of the results of the report came back. It said, Rupert doesn't know how to make friends. So you know what I did? I got out of my office and went in front of somebody and I sat in front of their office and they looked at me. Why are you here? I said, I'm just here to make friends. Why was it important for me? Because God wanted me to do that. Not those that fill it out. God wanted me to do that. And I encourage you, God wants you to do things. Please make sure you engage. Make sure you do it. Make sure you... Take everything that he's given you, no matter what the passage is, no matter where he sent you, no matter what you've gone through, he has great things for you to do. I encourage you.